I'm training for the Olympics and I need absolute concentration. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. I have a new story for you. This one is just too weird. Imagine an Olympics competition where everything goes wrong. As always, I appreciate your support of the show. You can do that through supporting Scotty Vest or Fatco, our show sponsors, or by joining the Patreon, which you can do for as little as a dollar a month. It really is a great value because for that, you can watch the unedited Zoom videos with our guests. You can listen to each episode ad-free. You can watch all the old joke story trick shows and so much more. Plus, you get a welcome packet with stickers. Once again, it's patreon.com slash Michael Kent, and it's super easy to sign up and use, so go do that. Congratulations to Nikki, who won our contest last week. Once again, I've hidden a contest in this episode, and you can win $10 to your Amazon account if you answer the question. So listen for that, and it's still, it's just you get to win once, and that's it for now. It's been a crazy week here with not much sleep. Uh, My wife and I welcomed a new puppy to our home last weekend, and she's only 12 weeks old, so I'm absolutely exhausted. Her name is Lemon, and I had to go out of state for a show yesterday, so I'm happy to be back home and talking to all of you. This week's topic was sent in to me from Nick. Michael, hey, it's Nick. You know, I was curious if you've heard about the 1904 Olympics and the craziness that happened there with the marathon. Thanks. Thank you, Nick. Uh, This story almost reads like a Three Stooges episode. It's crazy from start to finish, so thank you very much for sending this in. The problems with the 1904 Olympics began with Russia starting a war. Russia was seeking a warm water port in the Pacific Ocean, and they went to war with Japan in February of 1904. The war was fought in Manchuria, Korea, the Sea of Japan, and the Yellow Sea, and the Japanese victory led to unrest in Russia and eventually the Russian Revolution. But as it pertains to our story, it also messed up the Summer Olympics that was slated to happen in America that year. Because of the war between Russia and Japan, only 12 nations were represented at the Games that year, and out of 651 athletes, only 62 of them came from outside North America. Chicago was actually the city that won the bid to host the Olympics that year, but there was a conflict because in St. Louis, they were slated to host the World's Fair. It was technically being called the Louisiana Purchase Expedition, and it was a huge event. Its organizers demanded that both events could not occur simultaneously and compete with one another. The result was that they melded the St. Louis World's Fair and the Summer Olympics together, and they held both in St. Louis. Combined, the event lasted from July 1st to November 23rd in 1904. Now, this was an early, early version of what we call the modern Olympic Games. The ancient Olympic Games ended around 394 BC, but the modern Olympic Games were brought back in the 19th century. The International Olympic Committee was formed in 1894, and they held their first official version of the Olympics we know today, two years later in Athens, Greece. So in 1904, it was only the third version of this new modern international version of the Olympic Games, and already it wasn't looking very international. Something interesting about the St. Louis Olympic Games that summer. It was the first time the medals of gold, silver, and bronze were awarded to first, second, and third place winners. And that's about the only thing about the 1904 Olympics to be proud of. The rest is pretty ugly, including the inclusion of what they called anthropology days. 
Starting in the late 1800s, it was common for the World's Fair to include what they called human zoos that would cage and show off African and indigenous men as spectacles. They would refer to them as, quote, savages, and people would gather around to ogle them and discuss European civilization and progress. It was pretty disgusting. And in the 1904 Olympics, Anthropology Days gathered 100 indigenous men and they showcased them as they competed in feats like greased pole climbing, mud slinging, and ethnic dancing, while the white crowds of onlookers oohed and odd. The most talked about thing in the games that year, however, was the 24.85 mile marathon. It was the flagship event of the games and it was meant to be the event that tied the modern games to its ancient roots. Two of the men from the Anthropology Days competed. They were men from the Tuana tribe of South Africa, and they ran barefoot. One man, Frank Pierce, was from the Seneca Nation. Five of the runners were accomplished American marathon runners who had competed in the Boston Marathon. Another man, Fred Lors, had won the chance to race because he placed in a local five-mile race. Ten men from Greece ran. None of them had ever participated in a marathon before. One man from Cuba, Felix Carvajal had entered the race after raising money to come to America. When he arrived in America, he lost all of his money gambling in New Orleans. He walked and hitchhiked to St. Louis, and he competed in the race with full-length pants and a long sleeve shirt and a beret. Altogether, the field of marathon runners was a strange bunch, and the course was even stranger. It wasn't along paved roads like today's races. Some places on the course were covered in dust several inches thick. There were seven huge hills from 100 to 300 feet tall. Some parts of the race were covered in loose stone and cracked roadways. And throughout the entire 24.85 miles, the men would have to dodge onlookers, trains, delivery vehicles, and wagon traffic. After a quick break, we'll tell you about how these men did. I've been traveling again lately, and that means I've been wearing my Scotty Vest jacket, which is amazing for anyone who sort of lives life on the go. It's been awesome for traveling around because it's got pockets for all my gadgets, my phone, my glasses, my wallet, my charging cord, you name it. It's a clothing company I believe in, and I'm confident they've got an article of clothing that you will love. And the best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. Go to scottyvest.com and enter promo code TM15. That's Tango Mike 15, and you'll get 15% off your order. The link is in the show notes. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but Unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Let's get back to our story. So by the time the marathon began in the 1904 Summer Olympics, it was 3 p.m. Normally, these types of events start early in the morning to help protect the runners from the heat. But part of the planner's idea for this marathon was to be an endurance test. It was 90 degrees outside. 
The race began with five laps around the stadium track and then took off into the countryside. 32 men started the race, but only 14 would end up finishing. The chief organizer of the games was James Sullivan, and this monster had the idea that he would use the marathon as a test of fluid intake and purposeful dehydration. He made sure there were only two opportunities for water on the almost 25-mile run. One was a water tower and one was a small roadside well. After the first 19 miles, William Garcia, one of the runners, he just stopped running and fell to the side of the road where he began coughing up blood. The dust from the roads and from the cars following the race coated his esophagus and ripped the lining of his stomach. He nearly died. John Lorden became dehydrated and started vomiting. Felix Carvajal, now that was the runner from Cuba who had walked and hitchhiked his way from the Port of New Orleans, he suffered from severe stomach cramps and laid down on the side of the road to take a nap. Now he wasn't suffering from dehydration. He had been picking and eating fruit from trees along his run and some of the apples he picked had been rotten. This put Sam Mellor in the lead. Now Mellor was an experienced marathon runner. He had won several notable marathons in the past, but he too became dehydrated and dropped out of the race because of stomach cramps. A man named Len Tao, he was one of the South African runners, was chased off of the course by a pack of wild dogs. And then there was Thomas Hicks. Hicks was also a very experienced marathon runner. He was doing well in the race and was supported by two men who were traveling along with him in a car. They would occasionally get out of the car to run along with him and help him. He begged them for water, but they refused. They sponged his mouth with warm distilled water, but for whatever reason, they wouldn't give him water. What they would give him, and this is disgusting, was a helping of egg whites laced with strychnine. They weren't trying to poison Thomas Hicks. Apparently, a small amount of strychnine was thought to be a stimulant. Hicks knew they also had a flask of brandy and he begged them for it, but they held it back from him. While he was still running, another runner finished the race. It was the one man who really did well throughout the race by the name of Fred Lors. He was an amateur marathon runner, having only competed in a five-miler. He was suffering from stomach cramping, but apparently pushed through the cramps to finish the race. And I say apparently, because as soon as he crossed the finish line, onlookers started shouting. As Lors was getting his photo taken with Alice Roosevelt, daughter of President Teddy Roosevelt, the crowd was booing and shouting that he was an imposter. They had seen what others hadn't. See, when he began cramping, Fred Lors jumped into his support team's follow car and completed as many as 11 miles of the race riding in the car before jumping out to run the last leg on his own. He was immediately disqualified. Some reports say that he was disqualified from future Olympics, but it didn't end his marathon career. In fact, you should Google who won the Boston Marathon the following year in 1905. The word of Lorz's disqualification got to Thomas Hicks. He was in second place and barely able to move his legs on his own. The two guys that were his support team were helping him. They were holding him up as he barely made contact with his legs to the road. They gave him another helping of strychnine-laced eggs. Then they gave him some brandy. He was hallucinating and begging them for something to eat or something to drink. He begged them to let him lie down, but they continued holding him up. Fifteen minutes after Fred Lors was disqualified, the three men crossed the finish line, Thomas Hicks and his two handlers. He was declared the official winner of the 1904 Summer Olympics Marathon. Doctors treated him for poisoning and he wasn't able to walk out of the stadium for over an hour. 
It was the worst ratio of beginners to finishers in marathon history. It was also the slowest winning marathon time in Olympic history, three hours and 28 minutes. The marathon was just one of many horrible parts of this barely notable combination of Olympics and World's Fair that all got messed up in the first place because Russia started a war. Well, now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling comedy writer, author, and performer Jimmy Mack. Jimmy is the head writer at Shadowbox Live here in Columbus, Ohio, and is one of my favorite dudes to sit and catch up with. Jimmy, it's so good to have you back on the podcast today. It's always great to see you, Mr. Ken. And I'm sorry that I have you inside for 20, 30 minutes on such a beautiful day. It is like absolutely gorgeous out today. Well, I'm actually at work, so I have to be inside anyway, but yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. You had a, so you just had, there's a matinee going on right now? Yeah. They're they're on stage downstairs as you're talking to me. That's correct. Yeah, I just served them a bunch of drinks so that they enjoy it more. Nice. And uh, now I'm upstairs in my office. Yeah. Nice. Well, we'll get this done so you can go and, and serve them drinks toward the end of the show as well. Uh, okay. So this is uh, a fun a fun topic that not many people probably know about. And for the first question, we're playing for a joke. So if you get it wrong you'll tell me a joke if you get it right i'll tell you one here is your question number one deadly dust dehydration wild dogs and poison were all parts of what sporting event was it a the 1964 world series b the 1904 summer olympics marathon or c a cornhole tournament at a 2020 trump rally (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with A. The 1964 World Series. Yes. I'm sorry, Jimmy. The answer is the 1904 Summer Olympics Marathon. It was in St. Louis, Missouri. It was only the third Olympics in the modern Olympics as we see it now. Uh, Yes, they, they had to run almost 25 miles in deadly dust and dodge trains and wagon traffic and car traffic the 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 designer of this marathon decided they were going to use it as a test of endurance in purposeful dehydration that was apparently a a thing oh my god (laughs) yes so they they didn't give them water except for there were two spots on the 25 miles they were allowed to drink water um one man was chased a mile off course by a pack of wild dogs and the winner of the whole race was aided by eating raw egg yolks or egg whites laced with strychnine because apparently that was a stimulant and that's oh how God. he got across the finish line. Wow. It was just a, it's a crazy comedy of errors. Uh, so you got that one wrong. Do you have yeah. a joke, like a, a street joke for me? Uh, a street joke. Well, uh, well, I've been um, reading about a lot of puns just so I can torture my kids. Okay. So I have, a pun, <laughs> I have a pun for you. Okay. Uh, who wants to learn about Roman numerals? Well, I, for one. Oh, that's a that's a great one. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that one. <laughs> I, for one. Fantastic. I love it. I love it. Uh, I had a joke that I specifically got for you, and I'm going to tell oh, it to nice. you anyway. Uh, what do you call someone who counts all of the boxes of pencils at the pencil factory? What? A warehouse manager. 
Oh my God, that's a book. That's fantastic. I liked yes. that one a lot. That, that one great. had Jimmy Mac written all over it. All <laughs> right, we're over one. Question number two for this question, we're playing for an admission of guilt. In this case, it's going to be a guilty pleasure album. Now, I know that you're big on vinyl. You've got an entire yeah. wall of vinyl at home. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me an album that you're not proud of loving. It doesn't have to okay. be one that you own, but one that you might enjoy, maybe that you listen to on your computer or something that you're not necessarily proud of. Uh, and okay. if you get it right, of course, I'll tell you one of mine. All right. Which one of these statements is true of the 1904 Summer Olympics in St. Louis? Only one of these is true. A, okay. an American gymnast won six medals, even though he had a wooden leg. B, the man who won the gold medal in boxing inspired Popeye the Sailor Man. Or C, the weightlifting competition used farm equipment rather than traditional plaque weights. One of those is not true. Uh, oh, two of them are not true. One of them, you got to tell me the one, one that is true. So either an American gymnast won six medals with a wooden leg, the guy who won in boxing inspired Popeye, or the weightlifting competition used farm equipment. Mm, I'm going to say B, Popeye. The answer is A, an, Amer oh. an American gymnast named George Iser won six medals with a wooden leg in a single day. He was the only amputee to compete in the regular Olympic Games until 2008. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Guy had a wooden hey, leg. Remember last time uh, we did this and I got them all right? <laughs> did you? I, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to bring some balance to the universe. Hey, you it's know? not too late. You got three more questions. You're over two, but you got three <laughs> more questions. Um, what's your What's your guilty pleasure album? Well, I actually I have it here. It would probably take me a minute to find it, but it's um, and I actually do listen to this every great once in a while. But it's uh, Lenny and the Squig Tones, <gasps> and Ooh. it's a uh, Laverne and Shirley from uh, the show. Laverne and Shirley had Lenny and Squiggy on it. Well, they for a while actually toured as a band called Lenny and the Squig Tones and did a bunch of just um, old rock and roll covers. Well, uh, I, I don't remember. What was Squiggy's, the actor that played Squiggy's name? He just passed away a couple uh, years ago. Um, David Lander. David Lander. Yeah, just passed away a, a couple years ago. And now I, I don't know about him, but I know that Michael McKean, who was Lenny, is a musician. Like he he does a lot of that. Um, well, and, what's interesting, too, is if you are a, a fan of Spinal Tap, that um, th one of their uh, musicians was uh, Christopher Guest, whose name in Lenny and the Squig Tones was Nigel Tufnell, which was his oh, character name he, in Spinal Tap. So he created that prior to Spinal Tap then. He already had that because that I'm sure that, right. that predates it by quite a bit. That That's is right. very interesting. Wow. Um, <laughs> and did they, have a, did they have a hit from that or was it just no. probably a song no. that they played? They did play a song on the show as Lenny and the Squig Tones, though. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe one of those. But if I remember, I mean, let's do it for a while. But if I remember, it was mostly just rock and roll cover tunes. I'm trying to think of what uh, some of the early Spinal Tap songs in the very beginning of the movie when they're when they're talking about their old. Was it? Oh, right. Stop driving my car. Do, do, do. I, I don't remember exactly. What, uh, I wonder <laughs> I wonder if they, you know, sort of melded any of that. And so uh, I I'll go ahead and tell you about mine um, because I, I was just thinking about this. My guilty pleasure album is and I'm, I'm only bringing this up because I want it to be known that this was my guilty pleasure album before it was the Internet's. 
And the internet recently, okay. it's almost become memed. But when the the Disney movie Tarzan came out, I bought the Phil Collins soundtrack because I've been I'm a Phil Collins fan. I'm not afraid to say that that soundtrack is amazing. The Phil yeah. Collins Tarzan soundtrack is a great soundtrack. And uh, I would listen to it on repeat when that came out. I'm, I want to say I was I may have still been in college, maybe a little after college when this happened. <laughs> so I do have that album and I am not exactly proud of of the fact that that's something I listened to on repeat. But uh, I will say that, you know, I knew that album rocked before the Internet did. So, hey, I mean, you can't go wrong with Phil Collins. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't personally know the, the movie or the soundtrack, but I if it's Phil Collins, I would be willing to give it a listen. Yeah, it's a great it's, it's he even had a hit off of it. I think uh, couldn't tell you which one it is. Uh, you be in my heart. Oh, okay, yeah. That's from that soundtrack. Uh, and, <laughs> anywho, question three. For this question, we're playing for a coveted The Internet Says It's True sticker. These are very hard to come by and extremely valuable. The Olympics in St. Louis were combined with the World's Fair, which happened at the same time in St. Louis in 1904. What 1944 MGM movie featured this World's Fair in its closing scene? Was it? A, Miracle on 34th Street, B, Meet Me in St. Louis, or C, The Stranger? I'm going to guess C, The Stranger. You're not going to go with the with the, the title that has the city in the name? Right, no, that's too easy. You should have gone with the title that has the city in the name, Jimmy. <laughs> You're over three. It was Meet Me in St. Louis. That's what they were meeting them in St. Louis for, was to watch... A bunch of guys compete in a marathon that was just full of horrible outcomes. Um, another thing that's kind of gross about the 1904 Olympics when it was combined with the the World's Fair that we, we talked about was they had something called Anthropology Days, where this was back when they did, quote, human zoos in the World's Fair. And so they had a bunch of indigenous people and... Um, you know, people who I believe by 1904, these folks were actually paid small amounts. They hadn't been prior in the Paris Olympics or the Paris World's Fair and different things, but they were put on display as if, look, these are people, you know, here's these people that are right. civilized, like the white people that are going to the. Yeah, it was it was. um, And, and they actually made them compete in the Olympics in some instances. Um, well, but, I just read that. I just read the uh, the devil in the white city, which was the yes. uh, Chicago World Fair. And yes. it, they had the very similar. um thing where they brought in people from different countries and put them on display. Yeah. Now that Chicago world's fair, that's, that's a great book by the way. Um, and that Chicago yeah, world's fair, you know, they were, the big thing was the Ferris wheel. That's where they came up with the Ferris wheel that's because right. they were trying to compete with Paris who unveiled the Eiffel tower. Now the Eiffel tower was only supposed to be just for the world's fair and everyone loved it and they kept it. And there you go. So yep. for this question, this is question number four. We're playing for a funny or embarrassing story from the stage. Okay. <laughs> and we both have many of those. In, <laughs> right. in 1904, where our story this week takes place, the U.S. president was Theodore Roosevelt. It was his first term. Who was his vice president during that first term? Was it A, William McKinley, B, Charles Blackfoot, or C, he did not have one? I will say McKinley. Unfortunately, Jimmy McKinley was dead at that point. He had been uh, killed in office. The answer was C, 
Uh, he did not have one. Teddy Roosevelt did not have a vice president during his first term. Jimmy, you are the first person to go 0 for 4 on this podcast in 79 yes! episodes. <laughs> was, I, was I also the first person to, to win all of them in a row? Yeah, I don't know about that. Possibly. You may have you may you may just be the person to do both firsts. Uh, but the answer. Yeah, the answer was he didn't have one in his first term. It wasn't a requirement back then. Um, Charles Blackfoot is a name that I just made up because it sounded kind of correct. So uh, do you have an embarrassing story from the stage? Yeah. So we did a uh, shadow box. We were hired by a, a group in Dublin to do um, a Christmas time show around two o'clock p.m. for them, a half hour Christmas time show. And we went there and they were already so drunk, like crazy drunk. And we got there and they, they were clearly annoyed that we were even there to do a show for them. But once we started, you know, I was all dressed up like Dasher, like Santa's reindeer. And David was getting ready to announce me. And he's like, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Santa's number one reindeer. And also you just hear from the back of the room, <clears throat> guy on a mic. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Just everyone knows we showed that video earlier. Everyone, everyone was asking if it was Bill Parker. It wasn't. It was Bill Thompson. OK, Bill Thompson, <laughs> not Bill Parker. So I hope that clears it up. Anyway, you guys go ahead. Oh, so, so good. Yeah. Uh, At one point, I actually went to go do a costume change, and I walked by a guy, and he goes, how long are you guys going to be here? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. All right. Jimmy, you are 0 for 4, and if you get this last one wrong, I'm you're never coming back. I'm sorry. You just can't. You're, ne- you're never. <laughs> no, I totally understand. I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, here's your question, and this one is not okay. a multiple choice. When you hit a brick wall in your writing or a creative block, what do you do personally to get the juices flowing again? Remember that I won't get paid if I don't do it. So it's 100% monetary uh, motivation. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, yeah, honestly, there's like, I was giving a talk once to college and someone said, what happens if you get writer's block? And I said, well, if I get writer's block, I lose my job. So I can't get writer's block. Um, but, you know, a lot of times it's just banter with friends. It's uh, talking about movies, talking about TV shows. And a lot of times that will help spark some sort of idea. I also have a list, you know, uh, uh, I have about a thousand unfinished sketches. And uh, I always go back to them and I'll just start reading them again to see if I can figure out a way to make them work or at least get the juices flowing again. Awesome. Well, that's a correct answer. You have saved your yes. yourself uh, and, and you went one for four today. The first... <laughs> On the internet says it's true to go one for four. <laughs> but it's, you know what? It's fun hanging out with you nonetheless. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, tell people it. about where they can find out more about you. Uh, you can uh, follow all the exploits of Shadowbox at shadowboxlive.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Mac, M-A-K, number one. That's Jimmy Mac one. And uh, find me on Facebook. Definitely go and do that. Jimmy Mack, thank you so much for joining me today and have a fantastic week. It's always a pleasure uh, being a loser in your presence, my friend. (laughs) Well, that's all for this week. Before we end, here's this week's contest for you. I'll send a $10 Amazon gift card to the first person who tweets me at Michael Kent or types it in on the Facebook page for this podcast and tells me the name of our new puppy. 
The first person to send that to me publicly wins $10. Next week will be a completely different topic, so send those in on our website. Thanks to Nick for today's topic, and thanks to Jimmy Mack for being my guest. Here's a kid who's only been alive to see three Olympic Games. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new if the internet says it's true. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Sir Cubworth and Humahuma. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use title 17 USC section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. 